If you remember last Sunday's sermon title, Servant and Steward. Those are two definitions, first two definitions for that Apostle Paul is expounding about his role as a spiritual leader and apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Today we pick up from verse 8 to the rest of the chapter and introduces two more kind of peculiar definitions, scum and spiritual father. Let's get a quick review. First definition, pastors are servants of Christ. The implication is, if so, pastors are to seek their submission to Christ and their desire to please Christ, not men. And then their focus to be on the judgment and the commendations of the Lord, not of men. Lest you check out, because this message is totally about the pastors. I'm not a pastor, so this is not really relevant to me. No, actually, this is Paul's example of a leader, Christian leader. And then in some sense, we are all the servants of Christ. And we, as we build the body of Christ, it's not a one-man show and one-man job to build the church. So every member has a ministry. That is a biblical vision and concept. So in one sense, we should read it this way. All Christian workers, including you and me, not just the pastors only, apostles only. But for the simplicity, we're going to keep it as just simply pastor. Pastors are not executives, CEOs, or activists, or celebrities. Pastors are lowly on the roar, remember? Who submits to Christ, who takes the directions from Christ, who's in charge. Number two definition was, pastors are the stewards of God's word. Primary role of a pastor, a spiritual leader, when you think about you as a is a dad or mom in your household for your kids. You are the steward of God's word. To uphold and to teach scripture. That is the primary definition of a spiritual leader. And in your ministry, teaching kids or uh, teenagers, a church, uh, leading and the ministry team, in the same way that we are to uphold of God's word and teach. The implication then, the pastors are to seek, number one, their primary role as teachers. Number two, their teachings to be guided by scripture. In one sense, there is no absolutely original sermon or message at all. Because the pastors are supposed to deliver God's message revealed in the mysteries of God, His Holy Scripture. And finally, number three, their faithfulness to Scripture is the utmost important thing. So today, as we begin, 
I've decided to start with this two coats to, as a backdrop, and it'll help us understand the context better. The first quote comes from American novelist Jonathan Frenzen. He wrote um, Freedom, I think, is one of the most celebrated, celebrated and popular novelists. In his interview one time, he said, we have this notion in this country not only of endless economic growth, but of endless personal growth. I have a certain characterological antipathy to the notion where we're all getting better and better all the time. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but as a secular context, he's just making a comment and observation of the American culture. What about church? Back in the Reformation, Middle Age day, when church was being corrupted, and Martin Luther got up and opposed this theology of glory. And then rather than that, the scripture uh, points us to theology of the cross. So we're going to talk about theology of cross a little bit. But see if you could feel the culture sneaking into the uh, secular cultures, worldly culture, sneaking into ours as well. Lutheran theologian, Gerhard Ford, writes this, A theology of glory operates on the assumption that what we need is optimistic encouragement, some flattery, some positive thinking, some support to build our self-esteem. Theologically speaking, it operates on the assumption that we are not seriously addicted to sin and that we, our improvement is both necessary and possible. We need a little boost in our desire to do good works. But the hallmark of a theology of glory is that it will always consider grace as something of a supplement to whatever is left of human will and power. He's mentioning, just describing what Martin Luther uphold and exposed as theology of glory. But isn't it so true that we could feel our day of Christianity, the biggest mega churches are built on these concepts. As a matter of fact, the largest church in the States has been built on this concept. That God wants you to be healthy and rich, and you want to you could be successful as long as you really believe that God desired that. More than you do. It sounds so good that it's hard to oppose it because you, you become, you sound like pessimistic and negative. But if this is the culture of a Christian life, normal Christian life, 
what happens is our Christian walk and church life becomes so man-centered. To be more frank with you, more self-centered. How can I go to church and get benefits on my kids? So which church has a good children's ministry program? Or youth program? How can we have a stronger marriage from our church? A couple's ministry. It becomes all about us. Very narcissistic spirituality. Such was the culture of Corinthian church. That's why Paul becomes blatantly, wonderfully sarcastic. So, once again, I say this again. When you hear the word pastor, do not think of it as clergyman, full-time people, but think of it as all Christ followers who are serious about serving Christ. We're asking this question to, in, to, in light of today's passage. What are true marks of a, the pastor, a spiritual leader? Before I give you number one, read number one principle, one, number one mark. Let's read the passage first, starting with verse 8. Look for repeated words. As Paul becomes sarcastic. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign. So that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to the angels, and to men. So, as Paul is expounding on the role of a pastor, the role of a spiritual leader, apostle, he points out and rebukes the Corinthian churches who lived by the theology of glory. He points out they are to live by the theology of the cross. He's been expounding on that so far. See, the word already is repeated. And uh, in the introduction to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, we talked about that. In, in light of eschatology, a fancy word for the end times, study, study of end times, think about this. There are two words of tension of this end times. The first coming of Jesus Christ and second coming of Jesus Christ. The first word is kingdom has already come. We could live life abundantly to the fullest, experience full salvation, in one sense, it is right. Kingdom of God has already come. 
And yet, the other word, the other phrase is not yet. The accumulation of kingdom of God has not been yet. It will come when the king of kings will return. So we live in this tension. So in, in terms of American Christian culture, is very uh, in line with the Corinthian church culture as well. Already was so emphasized. Why? Because their church meetings must be really exciting because they have all the gifts, spiritual gifts, including the powerful, uh, externally, miraculously gift, not to mention speaking and telling and prophecy and gift of healing, all kinds of things are going on. All the things that listed First Corinthian church, the Corinthian church has it. So in their mind, it's overnight change of the experience in God's full power already was so attractive. Do not think that we should live in not yet at all. Not yet is a defeatism. Almost thinking that, okay, what good is it? It's all in the future. For now, there is no hope. There is no Christ. Victories in, in a real sense. It's all kind of conceptual things. We just need to endure. That's wrong. But I don't think American Christian culture, theology, at least the majority of them, are not attracted to that at all either. So the First Corinthians letter reveals this already theology, overemphasized, and the fancy word, theological word, is that over-realized eschatology. They were living in the future now so much. Of all the prosperity gospel teachers are speaking on that. Didn't Jesus said, he's the king of kings, you are prince and princess, and dress like it, and drive like it. The best cars, the best suit, the suit that I'm in, they're bragging unashamedly. That's the concept. In Martin Luther's reform, reformation leaders were living in the theology of glory. But and yet, the, the theology of the cross is God's hidden wisdom. God hides his supernatural power and transcendent wisdom behind the cross. Cross is suffering, cross is death, cross is shame. But through that suffering, God reveals the glory. And it isn't just for Christ. No disciple is better than the master. We are to take the way of the cross, the, the road to Calvary, by humbling ourselves to die to ourself, the self-centeredness and self-absorption. 
to experience God's glory and freedom in such a glorious way, not only when Christ comes back, but even day to day. That becomes a supernatural power and wisdom of God. Which still looks so foolish and moronic to the worldly wisdom. I think we should openly, without putting up our guards, receive this rebuke from the Holy Spirit. Do I think like I have already become king? That my Christian life is all about living out this abundance of living life of a king? Or do I gladly choose the Calvary Road when there is a discomfort in my conflict with my wife or my husband? In the dogged world of a work, life, and careers. During church life, is there a difference deferring our will and our rights to others in humility? At that moment, no one recognized that. That is the theology of the cross. There is a power that worldly men and women do not know. Do you know it? Do you, do you experience, ex, ex, experience this kind of life in Christ? I will tell you the first sign, the telltale sign of your experience will be joy. Deep inside, there is an affirmation of the Holy Spirit giving you, providing joy. Your circumstance might not look good, but there is joy. And spiritual leaders and pastors are to model this. That's the first principle. That pastors are to model in taking the Calvary road. Hence, we ought to learn true spirituality from their suffering and sacrifice for Christ. True spirituality embraces these two things, suffering and sacrifice, for the sake of Christ, not for the sake of my stupidity and sinfulness, and I run into wall the same sins over and over, my life is ruined. No, not that kind, that kind. But I'm talking about the type of sufferings that you could avoid if you become worldly wise. Without putting a guilt, our church is continually rallying for the reaching the unreached, the minority group of people in China. And we are actually challenging our men to go. That's exactly the suffering that you could avoid. 
I can't even imagine that, you know, yesterday trying to help the son, and you know, I, I'm so sweaty, right? I, non-stop sweating. I, I had my towel, but I got sunburn on my face, and it was so hot, so hot. In China, most of the summer, it was like that because of humid. Why would anybody go? Oh, in, in light of that, the people who caught the joy of serving Christ to volunteer for suffering and sacrifice for Christ and to, for the sake of gospel, anxiously waiting for visa. And our friends are like that too. That, that they might get rejected again. So these countries, they have to, quote-unquote, the Christian workers, missionaries, have to go out of the country to get renewed visa every six months. Do you, do you know that Bo and Cindy does that too? Why go through the suffering? Now, bring back to us, and it gets even worse than what Apostle Paul is describing. And it's unthinkable for us to even not having air conditioning right now as we worship, or all the comfort we have. Do you realize that, you know, when we don't have Wi-Fi access at home for a few hours, our our kids go crazy? They'd rather not have TV, but we need to have. I feel like that, to be honest. How do we live a Christian life here? The focus is not just looking for suffering, for the suffering's sake. The focus is there is a resounding, deeper and bigger yes. What are we saying yes to? To Christ. To please Christ. To do things that expand the kingdom of God and, and, and honor the glory of God. If that is yes... And I'm going ahead. We will be able to take this cost. In the in the words of Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, at a young age, died in the hands of Nazi Germany, as a German who's trying to protest to Hitler, to the Holocaust, to help the many Jewish people. He died just a few months before the World War II was over. But in his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, he writes this. Suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. That is why Luther reckoned suffering among the marks of the true church If we refuse to take up our cross and commit to suffering and rejection at the hands of men, we forfeit our fellowship with Christ and have ceased to follow him. But if we lose our lives in his service and carry out cross, we shall find our lives again in the fellowship of the cross with Christ. The opposite of discipleship is to be ashamed of Christ and his cross, 
and all the offense which the cross brings in its train. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. It is joy and token of his grace. Christ transfigures for his own the early Christian martyrs. The hour, the hour of our, the, their moral agony by granting them the unspeakable assurance of his presence. In the hour of the cruelest torture, they bear for his sake. They are made partakers in the perfect joy and bliss of fellowship with him. To bear the cross proves to be the only way of triumphing over suffering. As you read, we can't help but to think and remember the persecuted Christians in Iraq, don't we? Let me repeat myself again. The principle is not becoming sadistic, looking for pleasures in pain or suffering at all, but saying yes to the greater thing, saying stronger, resounding, deeper yes. And that becomes a passion to say no to others, which leads to second uh, principle. And then this is a third definition word. Pastors are the scum of the world. I, 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 we really, I felt really tempted to soften that language a little bit because I'm the scum of the world. To say that is... Um, but to be faithful to the scripture, to, to really carry the same tone of Apostle Paul brings... Let's keep it as it is. Pastors are the scum of the world. Hence, follow their example of choosing faithfulness over popularity. Popularity by itself is not anything wrong. But choosing popularity over faithful is wrong. The world gets more godless. It will become subtly, strongly, we feel that already, hostile. To Christ and the way of Jesus. Verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak. But you are strong. You are held in honor. But we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we retreat. We, we, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So can I honestly sitting in my nice big screen computer with air conditioning turned down to all the way to 77. Can I join the fellowship of Christ? What Apostle Paul is describing. 
is just utterly convicting. But let's be mindful that Apostle Paul is not saying go after the pain for the sake of pain, for the sake of suffering. Because he said, I learned, I learned to be content with whatever circumstances, in poverty and, and also in, in wealth. I think what kind of brings us the focus in our culture is this insatiable desire for approval of the world. And as a Christian leaders and the pastors, the more we want to have a bigger impact on church and beyond church and beyond the city, and the whole nation and the world, the subtle temptation and seek for approval of the world. And we all have that. And let's listen to the very words of Jesus Christ giving similar warning In Luke 6, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus said this to the religious of his day. Religious leaders of his day. Specifically, Pharisees and scribes and theologians. There will be issues in our culture also too. One of of the most uh, untouchable hot potatoes is homosexuality. There are so many layers of the things. What, What the devil is doing, the evil one is doing is polarizing the issue. There are, in one sense, there's a cruel, judgmental, Bible-banging people. And there are people who are just, yes, yes, and denominationally folding the convictions of Christ and the Scripture, and even twisting the Scripture to say yes. That's one approved way of life, not to mention the, the marriage itself. So anyone who's saying, uh, I don't feel comfortable, uh, you're a bigot. Uh, do you live in the middle, middle age? Don't you know that things have changed? Oh, you must be that judgmental, the people, Bible bangers. How do we choose faithfulness to Christ and faithfulness to Scripture? Overpopularity, even at the cost of sacrifice, suffering, being disapproved. That's the message Paul is giving. We are all so to gladly choose faithfulness over popularity, the way of Jesus over the way of the culture the world, 
And the third one, principle, he introduced the fourth definition of, of the pastor. The pastors are, are the spiritual fathers, hence be imitators of them. Look at verse 14. He actually turns from stern rebuke and sarcastic uh, remarks and he turns this tender heart, revealing his heart. Verse 14, I do not write, write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have, been, you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. There is a constant observations that I made, even in myself also too. It was especially during my youth ministry days. The way that other parents are talking about their friend's teenager. Oh, he's not doing too well in math. I think he's getting C's. And then the friend said, Don't pressure him too much. Actually, pressuring make him go south the other way. Just encourage him. Ah, oh, that's you know he'll grow out of it. Just a phase. This shall to pass. The same father. His son got C in the math class. He's furious. Like you will not eat until you study. And you will bring up your grade all the way to A, which is average. <laughs> to, to, to set aside all the jokes, though, think about what Paul is saying. There are so many content teachers. And the countless guys, these are chaperones to take them to school. And then after the school, they, they bring them. There are so many guys like that. So many so many tutors like that. But you have very few fathers. And I have become spiritual father. Can you see the depth of his love here? How do you d d discern who is true spiritual leader or not? When things get messy, when there is a draining things, when it's hard and there's pain, and people bring so much pain, the false teachers, the superficial leaders will turn away. Spiritual fathers embrace. That's what Paul is doing. I'm bringing this up not to shame you, but because I love you. I really do. You know, I have teenagers now. 
through teenagers who tempt me in this area all the time these days. Because there is a constant thing that is today, am I going to live with tension with this boy? Or just let him be so I could have a, I could be light, cool dad. Today, am I going to have another hour conversation with this kid to teach him, to hear him out? Uh, Let's forget it. Because as long as it's in private, I'm okay. True father and mother will take time. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul actually did in uh, Thessalonica. He writes this in two, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So do not think that fatherly, fatherly love is just it's a masculine thing that out there and it doesn't apply. As you lead your children, we need, we both, we need both tough love and tender love. That's what really true parents does. So this applies to men and women in our church as you serve your home group, men's group, and women's group. Are you going to be just a facilitator of discussion? Are you going to care deeply for the people? So what does it mean What does it look like going beyond the teaching content, content of teaching and imparting our lives as a spiritual father? I think one of the very simple steps that we could take, the two things, the twofold on on my heart that comes right away is prayer. This kind of love doesn't just Come out of nowhere. God gives to us. Pray for the people who pain you. That you will not give up. Pray for God's work in them. And then leave that God's work to him so that you won't be, those things won't be eating up inside of you. My friend Wade is coming. And then Wade has new role. He oversees large number of the missionaries there. And as I'm hearing, I could sense this pain. And I said, uh, oh, brother, I feel for you. you know, people bring so much pain that you would rather work with the locals there. But all these missionaries, they have broken lives. I know that. And he goes, oh, I feel for you, your pastor's, pastor's role. And I'm, I'm longing to connect with him. He has a layover le- next week for six hours at LA- LAX. Next Friday, 
Uh, this coming Friday, so I'm going to hang with him. Come with us. Come with me. I'm just looking forward to just time and grabbing something to eat and sharing. So in our own lives, we are also to imitate our spiritual leaders by life and their words. Lastly, number four, pastors are to love their flock with deep, genuine love, hence follow their example of taking pains for others. In, um, in leading this church, I have shared the role of the elders, and I basically said, brothers, your job is taking pain as the leaders of this church. And it is so true. Because and not to give up on people, but continue to love people with God's love, not only the tender love, sometimes sternness and correction and rebuke, what Apostle Paul is as Apostle Paul is doing here in this passage. And he concludes with verse 18 to 21 this way. Some are arrogant, as though are were not coming to you. By the way, he's by out of his love, he couldn't physically dare for them. He sends his spiritual son, his mentory, the one who grew up and became a pastor and spiritual leader himself. He sent he's sending Timothy. And learn from him. He learned my ways. And then he's concerned about how Timothy will be received also too. So that's the context. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. I will find out not the talk of arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Do you sense that? Uh, the Corinthian church who was adoring the worldly wisdom, the speech of it, the talk was everything that they're doing. So if you're really looking for that kind of spirituality, true spirituality, Paul is saying, in the power, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit who works through you. You know what that means. Our church, the kingdom of God and power of God is shown is in real transformation. If that's not happening, the name of our church or the, the, the teachings, that efforts that we stick to the scripture, scripture guidance, becomes meaningless because it's not on talk but on the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing the rule and kingdom of God. So in so doing, as all parents experience and true love and true parenting and true caring for people, there's pain. And my challenge this morning 
as we conclude is, will you take this pain, not give up on your brother? I'm not talking about hierarchical leader and follower relationship. In your home group, in your woman's group, in your men's group, as you serve outside the church, will you take pain for Christ? Will you not turn away and walk away and find easier way of life? Will you gladly take the road to Calvary knowing that glory and hope comes and that you will reign with Jesus as king? Not like a toy play, children's play, what Corinthian church is doing, acting like kings, but they are not. Like the Laodicea church, they looked good in their own perception but they're poor and naked and hungry from the eyes of Christ. What will you receive? I said so many things this morning. One thing that I'd like to, or I'd like you to, to think about is, God, I want to choose to be servant who pleases Christ, and I want to follow you, what will you say to me? How do I take the first step? And as a church, let's ask this. Instead of becoming victimized, instead of pointing fingers, instead of telling others what's wrong, and cynical about the whole church and Western Christianity, But how will we take pain for Christ? How will we choose faithfulness over popularity or comfort? May the Holy Spirit give us joy as we do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gentle rebuke yet firm rebuke to our hearts. We realize that the Southern California, Orange County, and even the whole North America's culture is spiritually dangerous. We could fall asleep spiritually so easily and become kings in our own eyes and become self-observed rather than take pain and suffering and sacrifice for Christ and your kingdom. Oh God, would you open the eyes of our spiritual life, our our heart, that we may see the, the privilege and benefit and glory that is not even, it cannot be even compared to the short suffering the temporal suffering that we endure. We pray for faithfulness of our church to your word as we become salt and light of the world. And thank you for your guidance, constant guidance from the scripture. We look to you as the head of our church and lead us, O Christ, our Savior and Lord. We pray all these things 
In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.